This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You are looking at a remarkable idea. An idea that has intrigued and attracted and literally thrilled thousands upon thousands of men, women, and children. And you, my friends, are about to witness this idea become a reality. For this is the story of the miracle sea in the desert. Michael Deacon, Michael Michael Deacon, Michael Deacon, Michael Deacon, Michael Deacon. After its first initial release, these topics are still often argued about to this very day. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for allowing me into your hearts and into your minds. Here we are, and here I am. Very lovable. I'm glad all of you out there had a great Thanksgiving. Hopefully none of you had the misfortune of being subjected to eating turkey out of a can. I know there are some of you out there. Don't worry. You are secret safe with me. Now, tonight, we will go back to ancient times. Who are we and what are we? Where do we come from? How long have humans actually existed? We will try to find out tonight. You too can get involved. That number is 760-332-8724. One more time, 760-332-8724. Now, let's get down to brass tacks and bring in our guest, Mr. Michael Cremo, who I believe is on the line. Michael, are you there? 
Yes, I am. All right, my friend. I'm glad you are here, and it's always an honor to get a chance to speak to you, Mr. Cremo. Well, thank you. It's good to be with you and all your listeners. Oh, yes. They're very excited that you have returned. And I wanted to ask you, Michael, how was your Thanksgiving? Was it good? I'm not sure if you celebrate that sort of thing. I thought this would be a good introduction point for the listeners. Yes, uh, I had a I had a nice Thanksgiving. Of course, I'm a, a vegetarian and I'm also a member of the International Society for Krishna Consciousness. So we have a a center in Los Angeles, and as part of that, we have a uh, restaurant. And on on Thanksgiving Day, the restaurant served out a, a very wonderful feast of uh, you know vegetarian Thanksgiving feast. You know, with tofu, turkey, and gravy, and mashed potatoes, and green beans, almondine, and pumpkin pie, and all of all of that. So, yeah, I I did have a, a good good Thanksgiving. Did you? Oh yes, I got to hang out with the old family, which is always nice. Can't complain. And you know. Michael, I hate to even bring this up, but I did receive some emails from listeners out there who didn't have a good Thanksgiving. A very, they, they had a very, they have a very dysfunctional family, I should mention. But all of us here together, we're all kind of dysfunctional and we kind of are our own little family here on this program. Yes. Oh, yes. So, Michael, as we begin here, I really enjoyed your book. Forbidden Archaeology, and many of your books, and at the time, a lot of these were highly controversial, and of course, rest in peace to Richard L. Thompson, much respect to him. Yeah, yeah, Richard Thompson was my co-author for Forbidden Archaeology, and he was sort of my mentor in uh, introducing Vedic perspectives on scientific questions like human origins and and antiquity so yes it's uh yeah he he left this world uh, a few years ago and it, it was a great loss were you really close friends with richard by the way and i only ask this because sometimes there are people who just co-author their books with any individual and there's really no real history between the two well at at the time uh, we were doing the research and writing for forbidden archaeology. I, I'd have to say we were pretty pretty close in in that sense. You could say we were we were friends. It wasn't uh, simply a you know, business arrangement. But uh, you know, it was, like I said, he was more or less my mentor and. Uh, yeah, eventually, you know, we went our separate ways. But you know, during uh, the time uh, we were working together on forbidden archaeology, I would say yes, it was definitely a friendly relationship. I've always been curious. I'm glad to know that. And of course, did you grow up in a traditional household with religion indoctrinated into you, Michael? And I know that your father. Uh, he had you guys traveling around, if I if I'm correct. 
Yeah, my father was an Air Force intelligence officer in in the latter part of his career. Earlier, he was a navigator. And uh, that that did mean that our family was traveling to different places in the United States and Europe and other other places. So, yeah, that was definitely, definitely part of it. Um, you know, my, my family was Roman Catholic. You know, they were, you know, Italian Roman Catholic in terms of their religious preference. And I kind of grew up attending, you know, Catholic uh, church services. And eventually, you know, I became attracted to the spiritual culture of India, and I became the disciple of a guru from India. So I, I would say I, I, I don't think I've ever renounced, you know, my Catholicism or anything like that, but kind of integrated it into uh, this practice of what what's called bhakti yoga the yoga of devotion the yoga of connecting the individual self with the supreme conscious self so that's that's kind of my religious background or spiritual background you can call it Yes, and I also understand you were in the Navy yourself, but not by choice. You were unfortunately involved in the magical draft. Is that accurate to say, Michael? Uh, yes, that's that's pretty accurate. Uh, in in the late nineteen sixties, I I I uh, left my university studies and went to Europe to do some traveling. And because of that, I became subject to uh, the draft. And I uh, was called back to the United States. And they uh, gave me the choice of uh, spending uh, two years in the Army or four years in the Navy or the Air Force. So I, I... I I chose the naval services. Understood, understood. And at this time when you were there, were you also sort of getting into uh, Eastern sort of philosophy and their religion? Uh, I was interested in such things. I hadn't taken up the uh, direct practice practice of uh, what, what I've called bhakti yoga, the yoga of devotion that came uh, a couple of years years later but yes i was interested in such things i was kind of exploring different spiritual paths and eventually they they did lead me into my my current position yes and i still remember the 1996 nbc special the mysterious origins of man which was insane when I saw it at the time, and it's still mind blowing to this day. Yes, uh, that was. I mean, my participation in that came about because you know I was in in touch with 
a lady in Louisiana who was the president of what's called the Louisiana Mounds Society. It was an archaeological group in Louisiana. And, you know, this lady had gotten a, a copy of my book, Forbidden Archaeology. And, you know, she told me uh, once, said, Michael, I think you should send a copy of your book to Bill Cote, who's a, a television producer in New York, New York's New York City. So uh, she gave me his contact information and he uh, he got in, in touch with me. You know, I sent him a copy of the book and he got in touch with me and asked me if I wanted to uh, take take part in that documentary that he was working on, The Mysterious Origins of, of Man. So, so uh, I did agree to do that, as did Richard Thompson, you know, my co-author. And we kind of uh, uh, introduced Bill Cote to some of the archaeologists and geologists who we had been doing our research on. Uh, for example, we introduced him to Virginia Steen McIntyre, who was an American geologist who had done some work in Mexico at a site called Guayatlaco in central Mexico in the 1970s. And there, archaeologists had found human artifacts, and they wanted to know how old they were. So they called a team of geologists, including Virginia Steen McIntyre, to the site. And uh, Virginia and her colleagues used four different methods, scientific methods, to date the site. And they got an age of about 300,000 years which is really astonishing because you know, the dominant idea today is there were no humans in North America any earlier than about 20 or 25,000 years ago. So to have this kind of evidence for a human presence going back almost 300,000 years was really quite astonishing. So, yeah. And... You know, that, that documentary, The Mysterious Origins of Man, was really quite controversial right. in this sense. It was probably the first time that a major American television network, NBC, in this case, had shown in prime time a documentary that challenged the modern scientific ideas about human origins and and antiquity. So you know, some scientists tried to get the government through the Federal Communications Commission to investigate and censure and fine NBC for having shown this documentary. So it, it did cause quite a bit of controversy. It really did. And you drew a lot of heat with various individuals out there. One in particularly is fundamental creationist uh, Ken Ham. Do you remember that gentleman? Yeah. Um, you know, to, to some extent, 
you know, I get along with young earth Christian creationists to some in this sense yes. that you know they think you know the earth is maybe a few thousand years old and i would say you know based on my understanding that the earth is a few billion years old so what i sometimes tell people like um, mr ham is that well whether we think the earth is a few thousand or a few billion years old, humans like us have been around since the beginning, and we didn't evolve from apes and monkeys. So on that basis, we can kind of agree about some things, although we would disagree about the age of the Earth. And Michael, this is completely out of left field. This name just popped up into my head. And I was going to interview this individual just this summer, but there were some complications. And I was curious what your thoughts and opinions were on Zahi Hawass. Uh, as far as I know, he's an official in Egypt and the Egyptian government that has something to do with overseeing the archaeological activities in in Egypt. I I I think that's his his position. So he'd be at least he used to be, maybe I think he still is, you know, he would be able to give permission or deny permission for researchers to do research on the pyramids and the sphinx and things in Egypt like that. And you had no crossings with him at all? No, I've, I've never run into him ah, okay. myself. I think there are others. I mean, my, my research kind of focuses on archaeological evidence for extreme human antiquity. I, the idea that Humans like us have been on Earth for millions and millions and millions of years. So there are other researchers who focus on the more recent aspects of archaeology, who look into the pyramids, try to determine what age they are. Are they you know, some researchers like Robert Baval and others? by looking at how the pyramids are aligned to the background of stars, have been able to show that they were probably constructed about 11,000 years ago, which is a little bit older than um, most archaeologists and historians now believe. So I, I would say it'd be people like that who may have had some direct run-ins with uh, Dr. Hawass uh, because that's their area of research. Maybe people like Robert Schock, who did research into the age of the Sphinx and people like that. Right. Robert Duvall, another uh well-known researcher, very respected. Him and Zahi Hawass, they've had their issues. 
Uh, just like uh, just like everybody else, but those two, their their rivalry seems to stem back uh, way into the early '90s. It's pretty remarkable. But that's neither here or there. I just wanted to bring that up. Maybe you might have passed by him and had a talk with him. But regardless, what resonated with you, Michael, in terms of ancient antiquity? Well, what what resonates with me is. I mean, ultimately, it's not that I care so much about how old the human species is. Ultimately, I care about where we came from and where we should should be going. So, you know, when I was doing the research for Forbidden Archaeology, I was looking at archaeological discoveries that contradict the current theories of human origins and antiquity. And you know, we, we found quite a bit of such evidence. We found human bones, human artifacts, human footprints that go back many, many millions of years, tens of millions of years, hundreds of millions of years. And that evidence contradicts the current theories. And that means we need some new explanations for human origins. Yes, sir. And I wrote a book called Human Devolution, a Vedic alternative to Darwin's theory, in order to propose uh, such an alternative explanation. And for me, the most significant thing is that we have to understand what a human being is. You know, many scientists today will say we're just a machine made of molecules. That's all there is to it. But I would say we're, we're something more than that. We're, we're not just molecules. There's a subtle mind element and there is the element of consciousness, which I believe exists independently from matter. And that's who we really are. We are the eternal, conscious, individual, personal self. So, uh, in other words, matter doesn't produce consciousness, but consciousness can come into contact with matter and become covered by it. And that process of the conscious self becoming covered with a subtle material mind and a gross physical body made of the chemical elements is what I call devolution. The yes. devolution of the conscious self from what I call the level of pure consciousness into the realm of matter, but it's a process that can be reversed and consciousness can be restored to its original pure state. And Michael, we'll jump right back into consciousness in a moment here. And also I wanted to ask you about the Denisovans as well, since we were sort of towing the line as, as we go along here, but you kind of rule out Darwinism. Uh, completely. What about something like panspermia? Uh, I think that's a good idea. Uh, panspermia means that 
life in some seed form came to earth from outer space, some other other location in the solar system or or the universe. So that that idea that there that the earth was seeded with these uh, seeds that developed into different kinds of organisms is something that that I find quite quite reasonable. Absolutely. And this reminds me now of another gentleman by the name of Andrew Collins, who also talks a lot about these things like hybrid humans and giants in ancient America and around the world as well. And are you also aligned with that notion that there were giants at one time, maybe even something like the Nephilim, if you are uh, religious? Uh, yes. Uh, I I know Andrew Collins. We've met a few times uh, at different conferences, and and I I think that in the past there were large size humans. Of course, it's part of even just ordinary science that before five or ten thousand years ago, most living things were bigger than they are today. The bears were bigger. The wolves were bigger. Uh, the trees were bigger. You know, I live in uh, California, and in California we have the redwood trees and the Sierra Nevada mountains, and you know they're over 300 feet tall. You know, these trees and they're thousands of thousands of years old. They're actually the largest living things on Earth. So I I would say human beings also were larger in ancient ancient times and and this is something uh, we get from as as you were saying from the bible right. and other wisdom sources the vedic writings of ancient india speak of large sized humans existing in previous ages or yugas as they're called yeah, it's pretty wild stuff, and we'll go right back there in a moment here, but now I'm wondering, you call yourself a Vedic creationalist, correct? I've been called that, and I I don't reject that in, in this sense, that yes, I, I do believe there's some higher cosmic intelligence that is responsible for some of the order and complexity that we observe around us. That so yes, I I would say I'm uh, a creationist in the sense that I think that things were created or manifested in the universe by a higher intelligence. So you definitely believe in a god. I do. Okay, I'm a bit of. Uh, an open-minded atheist of sorts. It's not that I don't believe in a God. It's just I don't have any supporting evidence, which is something the scientific world would say about a lot of things. If you don't have tangible proof of uh, X, Y, and Z, then it must not exist. But then, of course, there are things in science that can't be measured. Would you agree with that concept, Michael? Um, 
seems seems reasonable to me. I mean, I, I think we all have to make our own decisions about these about these things, and then we have to live with the results of you know the the decisions that 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 we make. So, if someone finds there's not sufficient evidence for them to accept uh, the existence of God, however we want to define that, uh, that's fine with me. I think I, I, I'm a strong believer in intellectual freedom, and you know, I think everyone has the right to make up their own minds about these things, and I respect the decisions that they make. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm with you on that one, Michael. No argument for me. Everyone is free to believe whatever they want, whatever makes uh, truth to them, whatever resonates within those individuals is always where you want to go. Follow your heart, even though that's kind of cliche. That's sort of the truth, though, Michael. I think so. Yeah. And another thing I did want to ask you about here was the fact that you definitely believe that humans existed millions and millions of years ago. And strangely enough, you find reports of all sorts of things that go on in Africa. You have the giant footprint, Michael Tellinger, another individual out there who talked extensively about these things. Have you visited that site, by the way? Uh I've visited South Africa, and I I met Michael Tellinger there. We didn't go to that specific site, but I've seen the pictures and videos about it on on the web. Um, it's basically you've got a a human footprint about fifteen feet tall and five or six feet wide and it's in granite so that i mean normally you would expect a footprint to be found in what's called sedimentary rock you know rock that was sand or mud or clay something like that that you would get a footprint in that's normally where you would get a footprint uh, granite is an igneous stone. Uh, in other words, like it was originally in a molten lava-like state, and you know normally you wouldn't expect to find a footprint in granite, but maybe it's possible. Yeah, I wouldn't rule it out completely. And of course, out in South Africa, there are those spheres that do exist that are. Apparently, two point eight billion years old. Yeah, we we mentioned those in Forbidden Archaeology. In the Forbidden Archaeology book, we have an appendix in which we look at what we call extreme anomalies. I mean, things that are really kind of wild in that sense, and these uh, round objects that have been found at a mine in South Africa near the town of Otostal in the western Transvaal region kind of fit in, in that category. Uh, these objects are 
one or two inches in diameter. The most interesting ones have parallel grooves, three or four parallel grooves that go around the equators of of these spheres, these round metallic objects. And you know, they were they were shown in the documentary The Mysterious Origins of Man, but NBC had told Bill Cote that before they could be included in the documentary, they had to be submitted to an independent company of metallurgists for analysis. So that was done, and the metallurgists said they couldn't tell how the grooves were formed on on these objects. So my position is until somebody shows me some really convincing evidence that these things can occur naturally, I'm willing to consider the possibility that the grooves on these metallic spheres, which are made of hematite, which is semi-precious stone, uh, that these engraved lines that go around the center of them are the result of some kind of intelligent being, human-like. <clears throat> Excuse me. No worries. Some kind of intelligent, human-like being who made them. Very, very interesting. And of course, you do believe that Man and dinosaurs coexisted. Is that correct? Yes. I think humans existed before the time of the dinosaurs, during the time of the dinosaurs, and after the time of the dinosaurs. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty extraordinary if we really did exist at a time and there were dinosaurs roaming around, that would be pretty dangerous for us, I would say. Yeah. Of course, even today, there are large, dangerous reptiles. Very true. Um, you know, for many years, I lived in Florida, and you have to be careful there because there are alligators, and they will come out of the water, and uh, they'll... They'll attack uh, children or pets, dogs, or even even people. So, I mean, even today, you know, human populations coexist with large, dangerous reptiles on on this planet. Yes, definitely. And we were talking about giants and some of these things that don't exactly match up with some of the timeline that some academics would want you to follow along with. I'm curious now if a lot of this sort of suppression is still going on in that sort of world, in the institutional sort of world of archaeology. Uh, I would say, yes, there is a, a process of knowledge that goes on in, in the world of, of archaeology. Archaeology is not there are basically, I would say, three groups in the world 
of archaeology. I would say there's uh, one group which I would call the fundamentalist materialist who are very much committed to the currently dominant Darwinian theories of human human evolution for more or less ideological reasons, not you know purely scientific reasons, then uh, that group, they are very much opposed to the kind of thing that that I do. They don't want to hear about it. They don't want anybody else to hear about it. But then there's another group which is committed to the current ideas, but for more or less scientific reasons, which means they're willing to listen to alternatives. And it's because of that group of archaeologists that I've been able to present papers about my work at meetings of the World Archaeological Congress and the European Association of Archaeologists and other professional organizations of archaeologists. And then there's another group, which is quite small, and this would be uh, archaeologists who actually agree with me. So, So I would say, yeah, you've got these three basic reactions to my work. You know, the kind of archaeologist who's just absolutely opposed to what I do, the more open-minded ones who are at least willing to listen, even though they may not necessarily agree with me. And then there are those who actually agree. And admittedly, they're kind of small in number uh, these days, but that's how these things work out. Yes, I can imagine that there are some groups out there that would want to suppress some things. We've heard stories of the Smithsonian covering up different sort of uh, findings. Would you say that's a fair point in case that you do read online of such a thing? Is that legitimate, those things that we do read online in, in terms of the Smithsonian doing some sort of nefarious activity behind the scenes? Well, you know, it, it's kind of interesting. This knowledge filtration process kind of operates in a, a very subtle, subtle way. And, you know, the scientists who are engaged in it don't necessarily think, you know, I'm hiding true evidence, which, if known, would cause people to disbelieve in. Uh, the scientific theories that I accept. You know, they they don't see themselves like that. They see, I'm a responsible scientist. And, you know, this particular case of archaeological evidence for extreme human antiquity is, it has to be wrong. I don't know exactly how it's wrong. But I'm sure one of my colleagues down the hall would would be able to tell me if I brought it to his attention. 
So uh, they don't necessarily see that they're engaged in some conspiracy to suppress truth. And they just see we're just being responsible custodians of this archaeological material. Yes, and I would feel remiss if I did not mention the names of Zachariah Sitchin and Eric Von Daniken, both names, both polarizing figures for their times. And I give both of them plenty of credit for their work. They laid upon, for better or for worse, depending on where one stands, uh, Eric Von Daniken and Sitchin, even in passing, both have played a very fundamental and vital role into getting the ancient astronaut theory sort of ushered into the mainstream, and of course, as, as well as the TV program Ancient Aliens, and I believe you were on the program at one time, too, Michael. Uh, yes, I appeared in in several several episodes of it, and you're right. I, I think Eric Von Daniken has made a tremendous contra- contribution. I mean, some years ago, he invited me to speak at a conference he organized in Switzerland. So I went there for that. And, you know, I've met him over the over the years you know, at uh, conferences that we've both been speakers at. I don't think I ever met Zechariah Sitchin. Uh, his, his ideas... I I have some some things that I agree with him on, and other things that I disagree. Uh, I agree that intelligent human-like life forms exist on other planets. I agree that humans on this planet have something to do with those extraterrestrial human human like beings and you know, I think his idea is as far as I can tell that humans like us kind of came into existence about three or four hundred thousand years ago when uh, there were some uh, human like beings from another planet who came to earth and manipulated the genome of the ape man Homo erectus and turned turned him into uh, anatomically modern humans, and you know that's that's his idea. I don't particularly agree with that idea, but on um, on those other points, I do agree with him. Yeah, it's very interesting the whole ancient astronaut theory and. Of course, that does bring me uh, to ask you further more uh, about the the TV show. Are you going to come up uh, on the program ever again, Michael? Well, I don't know. I think, uh, I mean, how how I look at it is, you know, I, you know, when you're interviewed for a show, yeah, like that. You know, they may interview you for an hour or two hours, and then, you know, they take a little clip, mm. you know, two or three minutes long, and right. that's what gets shown on on the uh, 
on the series. And I would always try to make the point, you know, when I was being interviewed, that I have an expanded concept of what it means to be uh, an extraterrestrial, an ancient astronaut, you could say. And, and basically, I find, yes, there can be flesh and blood extraterrestrial beings who are kind of very much like us and you know they have they just have some higher technology and they interacted with the earth in ancient times but i also think there can be beings of another type you know that people commonly call angels or jinn or uh demigods or demigoddesses or whatever that are also extraterrestrial beings. So, you know, it it could be. I mean, I'm not really sure, but I'm kind of speculating that those who were kind of directing the show really didn't like that idea very much. So maybe they stopped uh, inviting me to be interviewed for different different episodes. I would say in the beginning, I was maybe on a dozen different episodes. Right. Yeah, you were on there. Including the mm-hmm. initial pilot for the show. Yeah, that's right. I noticed you have been quite absent, and I was wondering, maybe they'll have Michael on eventually, but... You know, I'm not not exactly that surprised at you telling me this. I I have heard the same thing echoed a time or two, but that also brings me to Planet X. Lots of individuals still talk about a Planet X. What are your thoughts and opinions on on that, Michael? Um, I think that's an idea that comes from Zachariah Sitchin, right. if I'm not mistaken, and. Uh, you know, apparently that's positing that there's some planet that occasionally enters uh, the orbit of our solar system, and uh, there are personalities connected with it, and it has some some effect and on our solar system or in our our planet. Uh, I don't. <clears throat> have any specific commitment to it uh, I if, if such a thing exists it, it doesn't contradict anything uh, that I accept you know, about the solar system but I I'm just not sure about you know the, the, the evidence right for it it is a fascinating topic of discussion something like that could exist and come out here and uh, allegedly cause all sorts of things to go haywire. And, uh, you know, usually if you actually sit back and look at the world, you see all these sort of end time scenarios going on for those people that are affected by those uh, floods and earthquakes and what have you. So, you know, I could, I could see how some people could really put their hearts and minds into something of that nature that could potentially happen. Uh, I mean, if you look back 
to maybe the year 2010 to about 2011, the whole concept of Planet X being something that you would have to worry about was something that was pretty much pushed by certain individuals out there. And it was a, a bit of a money grab, Michael. Well, I'm I'm sure things like that happen. Right. Yeah, you, you see that with religion as well. Lots of people claiming that there's going to be this or that coming on a specific date. And of course, when that date comes, nothing comes to fruition. That's the unfortunate thing with all these sort of theories. You really have to discern fact from just something probably someone created, Michael. Yeah, I guess in, in terms of predictions, I, I, I can see uh, the logic and the Vedic idea that uh, because we're in Kali Yuga, which is an age of darkness and quarrel and hypocrisy, uh, we're in an age where there's increasing levels of environmental and social social disturbance. Yeah, uh, that that seems reasonable to me because. As I kind of look uh, out at the world, I, I do see kind of increasing levels of social disturbance and environmental disturbance. So, uh, so I think some some predictions are 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 worthwhile. But it's like kind of like a weather report, yeah. like you say. You know, right. if, if you know. Some rainstorm is coming. Well, you can prepare for it. If a hurricane is coming, you can prepare for it and perhaps make it through. And Michael, I'm very curious in terms of people who make claims of being abducted. What exactly are your thoughts and opinions? I don't think I've ever heard you talk uh, anywhere about that sort of thing, Michael. Well, I... I do mention it in my book, uh, Human Devolution. Did you? Where I speak about the evidence for us uh, humans, us terrestrial humans, being part of a whole cosmic hierarchy of 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 beings, and uh, as part of that, I kind of discuss the evidence for extraterrestrials, uh, UFOs, and things of that nature, which also includes accounts of abductions. So, so uh, yes, I, I, I do talk about that kind of evidence in my book, Human, Human Devolution. So, and I, I, I think it's valid that I mean people do report these things I've met uh some of the people who who have reported these things I mean once I gave a lecture at uh Mufon New Hampshire some years ago Eric von Daniken was there but also uh some abductees some very famous abductees were were present at 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 that meeting. So yeah, I, I'm I'm aware of such things and I I think such things really do happen. 
Yeah, just a couple weeks ago, I had Travis Walton on here, and uh, we were talking about his abduction case, and I'm always curious to ask uh, several guests uh, what their thoughts and opinions are on the abduction phenomenon, and if they are aligned with it. And, of course, there there have been plenty of individuals, of course, that have sort of embellished their sort of experiences, and we've seen them time and time again at certain conferences. We won't have to mention names, but... We know those individuals are out there, Michael. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the person that I met at this MUFON conference. I think uh, her name was Betty. Uh, trying to remember who it is. Betty something. Betty and Barney oh, Hill. Betty Hill, yeah. You actually saw yeah. them at a conference. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. She was at this conference that I spoke at at MUFON, New Hampshire. Uh, several years ago, so yeah, I I did have a a chance to 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 meet her, and I, I guess hers is one of the classic cases. Yeah, one of the the most well, most likely one of the most famous ones that that case and the Tra- Travis Walton abduction too, uh, cases that are way up there. Most people are introduced uh, introduced rather uh, to that subject of abduction with that, that sort of case. And Betty and Barney Hill, that abduction case has always been pretty fascinating uh, for various reasons. I'm, everyone knows by now, especially during that time, it, it wasn't really that sort of era to be making such claims, Michael. Yeah. So, you know, um, a few years ago, I, I spoke at a, conference that was held in Glastonbury, England. Actually, it was a crop circle conference. And I met Dr. John Mack, who was the head of the psychiatry department at Harvard University Medical School. And, you know, he had heard about these abduction cases, and he, he began to do a study because you know, the claim was, you know, these people are just making these stories up. And, you know, but but in his studies, you know, he found that they were uh, <clears throat> displaying all the symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. In other words, they weren't psychotic, they weren't neurotic, they were just displaying the symptoms that somebody who has undergone some severe shock, some very unpleasant event, you know, has uh, undergone you know, post-traumatic stress disorder. So uh, <clears throat> I, I, I find his work kind of interesting. But of course, when he started writing about such things, his colleagues at Harvard University tried to get him removed from his professorship there. You know, they wanted to deny his tenure and you know, they convened a, an academic court, you know, where he was more or less put on put on trial. I mean he successfully defended himself. Uh, so that was kind of interesting to meet him. You know, he came to my lecture. I went to his, and we kind of uh, agreed to stay in touch with each other. But 
shortly thereafter, he died in a mysterious automobile accident in, in England. So, you know, that's kind of yeah, it's very unfor- unfortunate. Very unfortunate yeah. indeed. And he's uh, John Mack. He's the one who introduced all of us to the great Zimbabwe school sighting uh, back in '94, when a, a, maybe about 62 school children actually saw this thing uh, land in, in their school there, and uh, they actually had an encounter with uh, something that looked like an ET, as the story goes. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of hard to get that many school children or kids in general uh, to make up that sort of story and to go with to go through with it for for so long. Yeah, I I I found his work you know fascinating, and you know, I I I made use of it in in my book Human Devolution. And Michael, you yourself have not had any sort of UFO sighting or anything paranormal is that correct i i would say that i've had some paranormal kinds of experiences i think once i i had an out of out of body experience and you know this was when i was in the navy and i was at a weather station in iceland yeah, you know, that's where they sent me to a weather station in Iceland, and yeah, you know, we had a lot of free time, and you know, some some of my friends in at the Navy base there, and I would would go out into the countryside of Iceland. I mean, once we were, it was in the middle of the winter, and we kind of went camping out in the mountains of Iceland, and you know, we were kind of sitting in our tent at the base of this mountain, not a huge mountain like the Himalayas, but a few thousand feet high. And and we decided to, we, you know, there were maybe four of us, and we decided to have a race to go get to the top of this mountain. So I was kind of scrambling up this mountain, you know, going through the snow and the ice and whatever, and I got, almost to the top of it and I slipped and I fell on my back and I started going down, you know, on the snow and ice, you know, going, you know, I tried to dig in my, my heels, you know, kind of to stop, but I couldn't stop. It just kept going faster and faster down the hill. You know, I was, like I said, I was lying on my back, you know, with my head pointed down. And I was thinking of all the sharp rocks that I've climbed over. And I thought my head is just going to get split open. My skull is going to get split open by one of these rocks, or I'm going to go over a cliff or, or whatever. And at a certain moment, I just kind of let go you know, I realized there wasn't anything I could do about it. And I sort of saw myself going down, you know, the mountain slope. And then I kind of blacked out and I woke up in a snowdrift at the bottom of this mountain. And, you know, my friends told me, said the way you came down was the only way that you could have survived. 
on this thing. So I did have that out of body experience. I, I, I would consider that a kind of a, a paranormal experience. And on, yeah, I've had some what I would call minor paranormal experiences, like once I was living in San Diego in a in an apartment and I was opening a kitchen cabinet to get a, a glass or a cup. And as I was reaching for the glass or the cup or whatever it was, I sort of felt like something was going, was happening in my hand, just sort of knocked the cup down and it kind of broke on the, on the kitchen floor. And yeah, I'm, I'm not a clumsy person, but I, I, I could just feel like, you know, that something had kind of for a brief moment, kind of taken control of 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 my body and had whacked that cup you know off the shelf and made it fall down on the ground and break so i don't think i've had huge paranormal or ufo types of experiences but i have had a few that's interesting and michael do you believe in the afterlife or in an afterlife, rather. Well, yes, I I'm a believer in reincarnation. I think the conscious self is eternal. It's never created. It's never destroyed. And you know the material body that we temporarily inhabit. It comes into being at a certain point in time, and at a certain point of time, it goes out of existence. So, and then I would say the conscious self goes on to take another material form according to its level of consciousness. So, yes, I I do accept an, an afterlife. And... In terms of the Vedic texts, do they talk at all about channeling or anything of that nature? I would say yes, in in, in this sense that if if one is able to control one's mind and senses, one is able to get direction from uh, what's called the super soul or the param atma, and you know, in each body, you know, human body, plant body, animal body, bird body, insect body, there is a conscious self, and then there's also the super soul, the expansion of of the supreme conscious being into the hearts of all living entities. And if if one has purified one's consciousness by the process of bhakti yoga, 
then one can get direction and guidance from the super soul or or the the paramatma as it's called in sanskrit so michael you yourself personally believe those that are channel channeling that's like a legitimate thing it's not some sort of a psychiatric delusion that's what some uh, individuals out there say about those things well it it could be you know I, i'm not saying that in every case right, right. where someone reports channeling a communication from some being source you know, right. be it an extraterrestrial mm-hmm. being or an extra dimensional being i'm not saying that every single case is has to be accepted i think we can make judgments but neither do i think you, you anyone should reject you know the the possibility that uh, one can channel information from from some some higher higher source yeah i don't exactly rule it out completely at one time i used to think that you know most of these people are making up these claims that they're probably a little nuts and off their rocker per se michael that these people are just kind of talking to the unconscious mind and it's really nothing more but there's some individuals out there that you couldn't even make an argument that they probably knew something that we didn't yeah i mean like i said it's it's possible that in some particular case it's not genuine it's you know just like some mental concoction but in other cases i think it's a definite possibility definitely is especially when you have things like uh, the stargate project that came out in 91 with the uh, remote viewing uh, program yeah uh you know it's kind of interesting i mean once i went to a, a conference in montreal a few years ago and i I met Stefan Schwartz, ah, who was yes. involved in uh, Stanford Research Institute and the uh, work they were doing for the United States government in, in terms of remote remote viewing. And you know, it's kind of interesting how I met him. I you know, I checked into the hotel and I checked into my room and then I'd gone out and then I came back and opened the door to my room and there was this man sitting in my room and you know, it was Stefan Schwartz and you know, he had been assigned the wrong room I guess but you know we kind of talked and you know I I went to his his lecture on remote viewing at this conference this workshop he he had and you know he 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 did a, an interesting exercise there were maybe about a hundred of us you know participating in in the workshop so he selected three people i believe it was and told them to get in the taxi get in the car and drive anywhere uh, they they wanted within a 15 minute driving radius and 
he told them, when you get to this place, I'd like you to film it. So he gave them a, a video camera and I'd like you to meditate and try to project some of the imagery that you're observing back to us here in, in the hotel. So, you know, three people went away, you know, they got in the car and then for the next 15 minutes, uh, Stefan Schwartz sort of told us, okay, uh, and in a few minutes, I'm going to be asking you to write down what you observe, and I don't want you to think about it. I don't want you to evaluate it. I don't want you to rationalize about it. Just whatever comes to your mind, write it down. And so then we... We did that. After 15 minutes, the people had arrived wherever they were going to go. And, you know, I, you know, he asked, okay, what's the first thing that comes into your mind? So I wrote it down, uh, candle flames and red glass holders. And because I thought, okay, I, I was kind of convinced these people had gone to a, a bowling alley. But I thought, okay, let me just go along with this. So I wrote it down, and then he asked, what do you see when you look up? What do you see when you look down? What do you see when you look to the right, when you look to the left, when you look to the front, when you look to the back? So I kind of wrote all those things down. And then after some time, the people came back. The three people came back, and they took you know the videotape from uh, the camera, and they put it on a playback machine. And, you know, the first image that came up was candle flames and red glass holders, you know, and I kind of believe in this stuff, but I, I found it really amazing that yeah. I had kind of gotten it. Yeah, these are remote viewing exercises he made you do. Uh, well, that was the only one that 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 I did. I mean, I'm aware of remote viewing exercises, and and you know, I think it's really a fascinating topic because you know the United States government, military, and intelligence agencies were definitely making use of of remote viewing. Yeah, they're very serious. So, yeah. Yeah, very interesting. And of course, Dane in the chat room wanted me to ask you, Michael, about Rupert Sheldrake and some of the theories that he presented. Yeah, that was at the same conference. Rupert oh, Sheldrake. Wow. He was there. Was there. Yeah, Rupert Sheldrake was there. And actually, he was during the remote viewing ah. exercise. He was sitting right next to me. And we were kind of talking. What a synchronicity, uh, Michael. Huh? I said, what a synchronicity. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, uh, I kind of mentioned to him that I'd been invited to speak about my work at the Royal Institution of London. And he was kind of impressed because he'd been trying to get an invitation to speak there, but it never had happened. So, so, you know, he, he kind of got the, uh, 
the remote viewing exercise, he kind of basically got it, you know, that they'd gone to a cathedral, you know, when, you know, if you looked at his notes, you know, that, that he gave. But I, I also went to his lecture, Rupert Sheldrake had been giving, giving a lecture at the same conference, and he had a, a workshop. And what he deals with is another kind of remote perception. You know, like, have you ever had the sensation that somebody's staring at the back of your head? Oh, yes. And then you turn around and you look, and yeah, somebody's staring right at the back of your head. That's eerie. So, yeah. So he he said, this this can actually be tested. You know, so he kind of had us, uh, the people who were participating in the workshop, divide ourselves into pairs. And you know, one person would sit in back of the other person. And the person sitting in the back would have a list of 20 instructions. Stare at the back of the person's head. Don't stare, 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 don't stare, stare you know. And then the person in front would have to say, you know, record on a sheet whether at any particular moment the person in back was staring at the back of their head or not. And, you know, if you just assume there's no paranormal effect and, and you know, that it's just chance, then you would expect that the person sitting in front would get it correct 50% of, of, of the time. But, you know, there were maybe about 50 pairs of people and you know, we did it and then we switched places and did it again. And I think the, the average for the whole group was something like 70% correct. Oh, oh wow. You know, which is really kind of uh, astonishing. And then he had, uh, you know, he gave other examples of very simple experiments that could be done, you know, by people to test these paranormal phenomena. You know, like, you know, sometimes your phone rings the and phone. you have a sensation. Yeah. You know who's calling. Exactly. So, mm-hmm. so he, he, he said, well, you know, you can actually test this. You can take four people that somebody knows and you can have them randomly call up the person. And if there's no paranormal effect, the person should get it right 25% of, of the time, one out of four. And again, you know, they found that people are able to correctly tell who was calling uh, at a rate much greater than 25, 25% of the time. So, yeah, yeah, Rupert Sheldrake has this idea of morphogenetic fields, and that there's kind of a, a mind element surrounding the organism, sort of like a magnetic field kind of extends beyond the edge of the magnet, you know, it, it's a, a force. So, I mean, he has an idea like that, that 
for him, explains these paranormal phenomena that he studies. Yes. And my goodness, he's done a lot of good work. He's definitely onto something. And the whole phone telepathy is something that I find completely valid. And I don't know how many times I have actually rightfully predicted who's calling or, who, or who's texting me, rather. Uh, plenty of times. It's it's quite creepy that that sort of thing does occur. Yeah, it occurs and you can test it. Yeah, that's pretty nuts. And uh, Michael, I would feel remiss if I didn't ask you where your favorite location is to travel since you've been all over the all over the world, Michael. And uh, well, what place do you really love the most, Michael? Well, I... I like, uh, there's different sacred sites in India that I have uh, a great attachment for. One of them is Mayapur in West Bengal, and another one is Vrindavan in northern India, kind of about 90 miles south of New Delhi. So, and these are sacred sites, and they're like, for me, like portals to the spiritual world. And, you know, I I have, whenever I go to these places, I, I have some <clears throat> sense that I'm in touch with higher realities. So... So those those are my favorites. That's a weird. That's a pretty weird synchronicity because I was going to ask you what your thoughts on the physics of stargates and if these are feasible and could they really exist and what we kind of know them today are what's called X points. So these sort of portals do exist to some extent. Yeah, yeah. I I think that's uh, you know these are kind of in that that category. So, yeah, I think there are places which are portals to other dimensions. Amazing. Truly. And again, I would feel remiss if I did not ask you about Vamanas, which is something I should have asked you earlier. And you see a lot of these, uh, these sort of things referenced in a number of ancient epics. I thought we could go over them now. Well, Vimanas is the Sanskrit word for spacecraft. And, you know, there are different kinds of Vimanas uh, because, you know, according to the Vedic cosmology, the universe is a, a multi-level universe. There's one level of the universe uh, that's dominated by the gross material elements. And that's the level of the universe that we inhabit now. And then beyond that, there's a more subtle material realm inhabited by beings adapted to the conditions there. And beyond that, there's what I call the realm of pure consciousness. So each level has it, Vimanas or spacecraft. There are purely conscious spacecraft. There are Vimanas or spacecraft that can be manifested by yogis and others using their mystic powers. And then there are 
are vimanas or spacecraft that are manufactured from metals, you know, kind of like our airplanes or something. So, so there are accounts, extensive accounts of these vimanas of these different kinds in the ancient Sanskrit writings of India, and there are depictions of them on uh, carvings on temple walls and things like that. So it's a fascinating topic. Extremely fascinating. And of course, you reminded me of the word Atma, the absolute knowledge and absolute consciousness. Yes. Yeah. The Atman is the self and the self is is by nature eternal, full of knowledge and full of ananda or 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 bliss. And yeah, you know, there's a supreme conscious self who's known by different names. One of them is Krishna, it means all attractive. Right. And each Atma has a relationship with the supreme conscious self, which can be discovered by you know the practice of bhakti yoga, the yoga of devotion. So ultimately, that would be the goal of of life to uh, understand the real nature of the atma beyond the world of of matter beyond the world of birth and and death i feel like i could talk to you another hour about that subject but we are running out of time here we only have about 10 more minutes but as we wrap things up here and wind uh, wind down just a bit here i wanted to ask you about things like lumeria and atlantis are these in your opinion, were, are these actual locations or were they just more of a creation from uh, just men that were, let's say, bored? Well, I I think it's a fact. You know, it's just a, an accepted scientific fact that over the past several thousand years, the sea levels have been rising and 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 this means that there are inhabited areas of the earth areas that were once inhabited by people that are now underwater so marine archaeology is becoming a a growing discipline so i i take it as something real uh, that there there were inhabited areas of the earth surface that are now covered by ocean ocean waters so you know there's the the case of the city of dwarka mm. in india it's a fabulous city krishna's city on the uh, shore of the Gujarat state in north northwestern India uh, thousands of years ago it said it it was covered by by the ocean 
So if you go there today, off the coast of the present town of Dwarka, you know, they have found under the water the remains of a, a sunken sunken city. So so that that's an example of, of one of these places that was once inhabited but is now under water and in South India they have uh, what they call Kanya Kumari, which was an area that was once inhabited but is now under under the under the water. So I think all of these things, whether we call them Atlantis or Lemuria or Dwarka or Kanyakumari, they they have some some reasonable basis in in fact. Yeah, I was always fascinated with Plato's writings, like many people are naturally. And Michael, as we wrap things up here, I did want to leave you with the final word and of course I definitely wanted to ask you this last question. How would you want history to remember you, Mr. Cremo? Oh, that's a, a fascinating, a fascinating question. Um, I, I would, I would like to be remembered as someone who stood up for the truth as he understood it. So, that's that's how I would like to be remembered. Amazing. Michael, it's always an honor and pleasure to have you on the program. Please feel free now to plug anything you'd like, your website, your books. Uh, the floor is yours, my friend. Go ahead. Okay. If people are interested in following up on, on my work, the, the first stop is my website, mcremo.com, M-C-R-E-M-O.com. Com, and there people can find out about my books, upcoming lectures and interviews. And uh, there's a kind of a special offer that if anyone purchases from my website, my latest published book, My Science, My Religion, which is a collection of 24 papers that I've presented on these topics at mainstream international scientific conferences. If anyone purchases that book, My Science, My Religion, from my website, they'll also have an opportunity to request a free copy of Bhagavad Gita, which is one of the philosophical and spiritual texts of ancient India that have inspired my work. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Michael. And I will definitely do this with you again on the other side. Okay. Yes. Thank you so much, Michael. Take care and good night, my friend. Good night. Good night. And there he goes, ladies and gentlemen, that was the one and only Michael Cremo. What a great soul uh, Michael truly is. And when we return, we will be talking to a second guest, Mr. Paul Mamakos, who I believe is ready to go. So, folks, hold tight. Go to the bathroom or the refrigerator, whatever it is you do during the break. When we return, 
Round two is next. Don't go anywhere. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the second half of the program. Glad to see all of you out there. And I was informed there's someone streaming this right now on their channel. I would advise you not to do that. No, no, no. That's not a good idea. If you like the program, just direct people my way. No need to try to get any sort of um, subscribers onto your channel that way. That's kind of a kind of silly. But hey, what do I know? What do I know? And of course, we are joined by our second guest right now. There he is, coughing away, Mr. Paul Mamakos. How are you doing, my friend? Doing fine. Good evening, Michael. Yeah. How are you, the golden one? That's right. Um, we're all the golden one. So, yes, I am also. The golden boy, Prince Mamakos, live and direct, boys and girls. Definitely give a round of applause to that great man. And I'm glad you're here. You've been here before... And here we are yet again on a night like this, my friend. Yeah, enjoying uh, what I've created over the year. You know, I'm, I'm at home enjoying and, um, you know, enjoying what I've created. And, and here on your show, you know, enjoying your audience, you know. Thanks for staying up, by the way. Sure, sure. It's kind of late over there, right? It is 12.08 a.m. Oh, man. I, I hope I didn't put you to sleep with the first interview. No, that was good. You know, I, I, um, I slept earlier today and, um, that's a, a great treat to listen to Mike Cremo. You know, he's a forbidden archaeology. I've read some of his stuff in the past, you know. I find him pretty interesting. Uh, a lot of what he talks about is fascinating as well as his whole religious sort of view on things. And I'm sure you feel the same way. For sure. Um, I was also surprised that he had mentioned he had like an out-of-body experience. And, yeah, um, right. He was talking about the giants and, you know, I believe in some of that stuff also. And, you know, I'd love to listen to more of what he has to say about um, bhakti yoga and, and everything, you know, a lot of different things. Yeah, I could talk to him for another few hours easily. We barely yeah. scratched the surface on a lot of the things that he talks about and... You know, people like that are, are very fascinating to uh, talk to, especially if you could talk to them just one on one or in this case in front of uh, everyone else who's going to listen to this. But it's it's remarkable to talk to someone with such experience as uh, Michael Cremo. Yeah, I'd be interested to hear um, even some of his um, personal perspectives on how he keeps it all together. He, he keeps like the one side, the. Uh, the straight and narrow kind of stuff. And on the other side, he's gone. He's delved deeply into these other things. So I'd like to, you know, ha listen to how he um, personally presents the different, the different ways, you know, for the different people. For sure. And did you have a good Thanksgiving, by the way? Um, uh, Kind of, um, it's, it's been nice to rest for sure. Yes. Did you hang out with your family and what, what went on? No, there was no hanging out with the family. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm a vegetarian, so I can't stand the smell of, um, I, I did go to a few rest, uh, I went to town and 
went to the supermarket and stuff. But um, oh, it's that bad. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I can understand though. I have some friends that are the exact same way. Sure. Um, no, I, I would go to um, Thanksgiving if they uh, had a didn't eat. You know, I went one year and it, it, the, the smell of turkey of chicken. Uh, turkey, I mean, pervaded the whole house for Damn. many hours. Yeah, you know, yeah, even yeah. the night before. <laughs> I'm sure that just bugged the hell out of you. It was torture. <laughs> yeah. For some people, they would say, why, why is he complaining? He's, he's being dramatic. But no, for some people, that smell is, it's, it's overwhelming. Yeah. You know, I, I grew up eating meat and all that and I loved it at that time. But then uh, later on, I made the, I made the choice to go a different route and, you know, it's just, it's, it's not good or bad not to eat meat, but uh, it's just what I've been doing for a while. You know? Nice. And before I get ahead of myself, uh, Paul, can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself for those who weren't here the first time you were on the show? Yeah. Um, I, I'm, uh, I'm both a physical person. I'm here in the physical world, but I've also traveled and uh, experienced different things uh, along the lines of what Michael was talking, my cremo. Uh, and with the metaphysical uh, side of things into the out of body and also beyond the out of body into like the, um, the beingness or, um, the, the existence, what, uh, ex like existential kind of stuff. And so I've written a few books and I have a website at a body com where there's a bunch of information and a chat group for people to, you know, talk with each other. No doubt. No doubt. And of course, just a couple uh, days ago, uh, John McAfee was here. Yeah. 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 I listened to that show. Um, tell me what you think. I got to know. Be honest, be truthful, well, was, get in there. It was a short show. I, I recently was. read an article by a man who was talking about, um, Carter Thomas was the name of the man. He, he wrote an article about, um, different types of, um, let me see. What did I write about that? It was uh, different types, of like like adrenaline, but it was different. And one is more like a, a stimulation kind of effect versus a um, production. Something you do gives you a great feeling versus something outside which stimulates that feeling. So um, um, I would say maybe back to John McAvee. Yeah, um, go ahead. He, he, he was really going on about the stimulation kind of enjoyment of life. Uh, um, drink, uh, drinking and stuff like that. John is a rooster. He's in the Chinese year of the rooster. So astrologically for the Chinese sign, he's, um, and he's also a Virgo. So he's a very precise and he's a detail oriented person. And, um, my experience with roosters in the past has been they, they like to be where the crowd is and do stuff. They like to be like the center of attention almost. So um, if you if you go to your Google search or whatever you're being and you type in rooster, Chinese year of the rooster, it'll bring up a bunch of characteristics that, you know, um, it you know, I'm a dragon. So if you do that and you look up dragon, you'll find me pretty much. So that's you know, he does fit the the Virgo rooster uh, traits. I thought it was a pretty fun show. Having yeah. him on, having him on with the wife, they're on the run from uh, various governments per se. It, it was remarkable, really. At the time, I didn't exactly know how special that was, and maybe I don't know if I feel pretentious saying something like that since it is my show. But I felt that was kind of a special moment in time. Yeah, very special that he, they would share their life, you know, on on the on the air. And uh, they were in a Faraday cage or something, and 
It's 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 a one way of living. Good sure. lord, right? That's some crazy <laughs> shit there. <laughs> he, you know, he's living for real, like in his own. Path. He is like I told him on the show. He's living much more and many more lives than a lot of people that are listening to the show. Yeah, I, I would wonder what his uh, peak experiences are like. Um, I'm, I'm sure he, I haven't heard him speak about like uh, out of body experiences or or some of the more uh, existential or kind of thoughts about life. But I'd, I'd like to hear some of his stuff on that angle also. Oh, yes, definitely. There will be a part two. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I'll have to, <laughs> I will have to bring him back and get him to talk about those sort of things. But he was very adamant to tell the great heist sort of uh, story that he has. Yeah, um, it's good. Um, I have to think more about some of I've watched some of his videos in the past where he goes more into detail about some of the stuff. And does he have a, vid- a movie or a video coming out about that stuff? I believe he does. Okay, okay. Yeah, because I I remember hearing possibly that there was something was going to be coming out. I'm not sure if it came out yet or not, but um, I think it's still in production. Okay, <laughs> a new film. Yeah, I'm looking it forward looked, to that. Look pretty wild, is what it's. Hell yes, and he's very appropriate for the show. Uh, you know, I usually look for those that are controversial to some degree. For sure, yeah. it makes for a much better show, in my opinion. Yeah, well, just getting the word out there about uh, what what he's, you know, he's living the, the sex and all that <laughs> kind of stuff kind of thing. And he's probably mellowed down quite a bit than he used to be. But um, um, he's, you know, a lot of people are probably living that kind of lifestyle and he's just getting it out there you know, where people can see it. You know? Yeah. And you know what? Speaking of um, living in wild times, you know, you did tweet me something that was kind of um, remarkable and out of, out of left field, um, Paul. <laughs> yeah, I know what you're talking uh, about with, with Rolo Tomasi. Is that what you're talking about? No, no. It was a quote from okay. the rational man. Oh, yeah. Hypergamy, huh? That's what. Yeah. Do you mind if I read that? Go ahead. I, this is not, it's not my quote. I think it's. I know it's not Tomasi. for sure. I know it's not your quote, but the fact that it came from you, I thought, well, holy shit, that's kind of out of left field. Yeah. Well, you gotta <laughs> you gotta live and learn. So <laughs> amazing. Yes. I've been living and learning this year. <laughs> yeah. The quote says, "Hypergamy doesn't care about how long you've been together." Yeah, that's right. And you know what? You're right about that. People will do what. <clears throat> Excuse me. People will do what what they want and whenever they want, and that's something that I've learned and observed in others. Yeah, um, you know what? A lot of us grew up watching um, movies on on TV and everything made by Hollywood and everything, where they had like the the prince and the princess and that kind of show. Um, and and what Rolla talks about is there's like a that, that those kind of movies raised us to be like beta beta males. And um, I agree. And, he talks a lot about like the different traits of what a woman's looking for. Um, some of the quotes he has are, if you're not her, if you're not her girlfriend, if you're not, you mind if I use a curse word here? Go ahead, man. You're, you're, uh, you're safe. If you're not, if you're not fucking her, you're her girlfriend. That's one of the quotes. You know, I agree. I agree with you 100% on that one. And that brings me back to a lot of the things I used to talk about way early on in, on this program here. Uh, the fact that I've always found it fascinating when I get into these conversations, both with men and women, in terms of dating and, and friendships, and this one has always resonated with me 
in terms of men, straight men like myself and like you having these relationships or friendships rather uh, with women. Can we have an actual just a friendship with them? Strictly friends, no on top of the clothes action, nothing of that nature, strictly just friends. Is it possible to do such a thing? Um no, <laughs> no. I mean, if if you have a, if you're married or if you have a, someone on, if each person has someone already, then if you look at it from a, like an energetic standpoint, each one has a positive and negative in their life. If the man is being the positive or the magnetic and the woman is, is being the gravitational or the negative, then the man and the woman say each couple has their own polarity joined. So they won't counter join, you know? unconsciously or unknowingly. But if, if each is single or if one of them is single, then that that attraction or mag- magnetism is going to happen. It's just natural. Yeah, you're, you're usually going to be attracted to a woman that you get along with to a certain degree. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Do you think it's bad to say a woman that only has friends with males is a red flag? Um, let me think about that. I think it really does. I think it it actually just depends on that individual and my personal opinion. It's all up to that person, but you know, Paul, you can't really trust other guys around the hot girls. You know how that goes. Well, that's just human nature. Exactly. That's, that's what guys do. (laughs) Right. Um, so if we look at it, you know, if, um, if we, we can't ignore this um, polarity, this energetic, energetic happening, you know, um, we might like to do that in schools and in society, but it, it's just there. You can't ignore it. Yeah, I'm sure you had a friend in high school or in college that you were like crushing on that you would definitely want to do all these things like R. Kelly did, you know, things of that nature. But you can't really go to that R. Kelly line with this woman because she's like your friend. Yeah. And uh, people talk about like uh, the teenage years. Is that natural or is it just a a delayed uh, adulthood? You know, um, once people hit um, maturity, you know, once they, you know, once they reach that point, then, you know, there is really no teenage. There's there's just the adult, you know, and we can make this is my belief. And uh, there's another guy, guy named John Taylor Gatto. He talks about this also. Um, but, uh, it's, it's really, uh, unnatural to, to call someone a teenager, you know, in my opinion. Can you be friends with a married woman? Well, like I was saying, if you have a, if, if we're talking about me, um, if, if I have a partner, then, um, then it will, it will be less of an attraction for this other woman uh, than if I'm single. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> and did you, were, were you ever in like a serious relationship, Paul? I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. to, I'm sorry to ask yeah. you these questions, but I mean, you kind of opened Pandora's box. Now I'm in this sort of wanting to talk about these personal <laughs> things with you now. That's <laughs> fine. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I was, uh, I was very strongly in love with a woman at one oh, time. Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. Were you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't tell me you met her in high school, though. No, I didn't. I was about to just go in there and, and choke you. <laughs> I, you know, I have a friend or had a friend, like he was like my best friend in high school. And this guy, you know, he like married his, his high school sweetheart. And this is like the only girl that he like banged. And I know that's kind of romantic for some of you out there, but for me, it's, it's kind of a mess. I mean, why would you want to sort of get married with 
someone who met you early on that that one version of you from years ago it's just it's just a little silly to me but i mean I, i'm completely different from most individuals that anyone will ever talk to so my line of thinking is is pro- probably completely irrational from someone else you'll meet let's say like at a starbucks yeah, well, uh, we grow a lot over life, and if people are willing to just um, to to sacrifice certain things and to to grow, like maybe more in the spiritual sense with somebody, and if they're both able to do that, um, then then sure, yeah, I, I think it could work. But that's that's a stretch to for two people to be able to do that. I think from childhood. Ugh, yuck. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. But, oh my God. I, I can't even imagine being married to any of the girls I went out with in high school. Yeah, I don't know, man. Oh, sweet Lord. <laughs> have to see. I haven't looked them up. I'd have to see how they turned out, you know? <laughs> oh my God. Just yuck. I, I just can't even imagine it for myself or for you. I, I would feel bad for you if that's something you actually went through, which isn't the case. So thank God, Paul, the golden that- one stays golden. <laughs> That is true. It didn't happen to me that way. So that's good. Well, that's, yeah. a, that's a blessing. That's a blessing yep. there. I'm yeah. glad you did not fall for that trap. You didn't buy no ring for no high school girl. Thank goodness. Yeah. yeah. Oh my. You know, it could have kept me back. I think, um, um, in my twenties, I really, that's 19. That's really when I got into the spirituality or the meditation or the, the out of body stuff. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I, during that time, I was looking for some, maybe a woman who would be interested in exploring things while also doing the spiritual stuff, but I never found it. Where were, you, where were you looking, if you don't mind me asking? Well, what area? What, yes, what, like location, oh, okay. geological uh, location, what, yes. What state, you're saying? Yes, sir. Oh, yeah, I was in Virginia. Virginia. Uh, well, Virginia, that's why. See, you need to go, like, Paul, I, I don't want to, I don't want you to think this is like a, a negative thing, but no. I would highly suggest if you were looking to run through some strange, you know, the, the best place for you, Paul, would be somewhere like Sedona, Arizona. You'd yeah, just, you'd be killing it there. I've been there. I haven't stayed there, but I've been through there. Yes, it's a good place. Or Flagstaff or um, Tucson. Some or hot women there, too. Arizona, those places. Beautiful women there. Paul, you would just, you would be the man. You'd be the golden yeah. one. Yeah, so for for the guys who are listening to this, you should uh, check out Rolo Tomasi uh, on YouTube, and uh, it'll save you a lot of hardship in your life. Uh, no matter your age, if you're a younger kid or if you're teenagers or if you're later in life, um, check them out. And maybe you should interview them sometime, Michael, if you can get them on or if you guys yeah. can synchronize your schedules. That'd be great. That's a great idea. Thank you for that suggestion. And by the way, in the chat room, Truth in Doubt says Virginia is for lovers. <laughs> well, yeah, it's also a, a highly liberal state. So um, no no further comment on that unless you ask. But. So, Paul, what, what kind of women are you into? There's a lot of female listeners of this program, and sometimes those women actually go and uh, message the guest. It, it's happened on more than one occasion. I know I shouldn't say that or tell you how sausage is made, but it's my <laughs> show. I don't really give a shit. I, I'll do whatever I would. I'll do whatever I want. So, <laughs> be prepared. Right, right. Well, that's great. You know, um, all women are a little bit crazy, so you have to expect <laughs> that. Um, they are. Well, that's good. Yeah, and also open to the spiritual side of life or the energetic side of life. Spiritual isn't as important as energetic uh, as most people can um, confirm, probably. 
Um, yeah, energetic. Uh, I, I was with a pagan woman. A well, pagan I woman. About, I shouldn't talk about that. <laughs> you could tell us. We're, I mean, we're, we're all friends here and we're only trying to help. Okay. Well, you know, sometimes in a relationship, there can be like electrical kind of stuff happens between the two people. Oh, yeah. I know about that. And that's that's good stuff. It is. Uh, so make some mistakes. It's a good time. Yeah, spiritual or energetic or someone who wants to grow or learn together or something like that. Um, that's probably the most important thing. Um, uh, the subtitle of that might be somewhat, somewhat, um, into, um, um, conservative kind of stuff, you know, or, or red pill or, um, a little bit on the conspiracy side of things. Okay. Okay. And that's about everything. That's about everything. It looks like uh, Sedona, Arizona is your place. Okay. That's your, your safe haven. Um, I'll, I'll get my map out and start making my travel plans here. I'm, I'm dead serious, too. Sedona, Arizona, that's where you need to be, Paul. Okay, thank you. That's where you need to live. And so, Paul, tell me, is it the blonde women that you like, the brunettes, the redheads? What's going on? Well, you know, you can't, you can't judge a book by its cover, can you? So Sometimes you can. Sometimes you can. <laughs> Sometimes I could, I could, I could tell who's crazy and who isn't by the eyes. Probably a little. Oh, I don't want to. I don't want to cast away any potentials. <laughs> okay. Some fatal attractions out there. You never know. That's right. That's right. Um. Yeah. So. Hmm. I don't want to say any more about color of hair. You accept um, you accept all color of hair. I accept all color. I'm Perfect. not judgmental. <laughs> what about curly hair, straight hair? Um, Little detail. I don't know. At the moment, I guess I could say at the moment. What I'm envisioning is like a curly hair, curly, maybe um, curly, maybe, yeah. like a curly haired black pagan sort of woman for you that's into new age stuff. Yeah, yeah, something like that. A little bit grounded, a little bit in okay. the real world too. Understanding. Okay, okay. I don't want to get too specific, but yeah, we can't all be uh, pickers. Can't be choosers, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, any one or three or five of those things would probably be something in the right direction. Okay, I could I could see that happening, Paul. You could go out, like I said, Sedona, Arizona. That's the key of of, of all this this whole chat here. Okay. Um, Hell yes. So, so, what about Sedona? Um, makes you say that because I've been to Sedona and um, it is a good place, but you know, I don't know of any of the communities over there. Did or- you go to any conferences there? Um, yeah, a few of the raw spirit festivals when they were happening about 15 years ago or something well, 15 like years ago, Paul, that's the problem. <laughs> a long time ago, things have changed. There's lots of women that go to these things now. For those that don't know, for those that are living under a rock, um, you could go to a, a lot of these conferences and meet all sorts of women. Hmm, okay. I know so. I've been there. All right. So for a lot of people who might be listening, what are some of those conferences? What are some of the things? Hmm? Well, which got, one? There, there's plenty got, of them. I've got my pen out. What, what website? <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> well, I mean, for starters, you know, there's always like the contact in the desert. There's these uh, any 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 of the big conferences that are deeply um, advertised. The the bigger ones. That's where you can find a lot of these sort of new age chicks that dye their hair. They're 
you know, a little bit angry at their parents or the government <laughs> or something. And those are always the fun ones, but they're always insane. You know, that's that's the truth of the, of the matter, though. To be expected. Yeah, the, the insane ones are always the fun ones. They're always fun in bed. And celebrated too, right? <laughs> I mean, if they dye their hair and they're wearing glasses and they have tattoos, they're probably going to be good. they're probably going to be fun in bed. I'm just going to be honest. Yeah, I think so too. Hell yeah! So I mean, you would find all this uh, at any big conference for sure. I've got a few tattoos myself. Do you, Paul? I didn't even know that. <laughs> Haven't shown anyone to any. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a bunch. Are they? Oh, okay, I was gonna say, are they like in safe locations? What's going on there? Yeah, they're visible, but it, it's all good. <laughs> they all mean something special. Yeah, so they're good stuff. I got a big, big dragon on my left arm, and um, that was my first one. Why? Good stuff. Why a dragon? Well, um, it's like, and it's, uh, it's always kind of. I guess I'll post a pictures one day, but uh, yeah. Um, yeah, after my oneness experience in 2002, I thought, well, I want to get something to, to remember it, to never forget it. So and I was also born in the year of the dragon, Chinese year of the dragon. So, ah, that makes sense. Yeah. So it kind of represents, um, the universe and it's always watching me because it's, uh, it's facing, it's, it's face is pointing at my face kind of thing. It's looking up at me. That's pretty cool. And yeah. uh, you know, as we're talking about all these things, I did have some just a, a little bit of a news, current news that's been going on. I thought this would be a good time to bring it up since we kind of are talking about dating and all these sort of things. And there was this story that came out just recently, Paul, a teacher of the year. She gave the student oral sex twice in the classroom. That's what the Texas police are saying at teacher of the year, by the way. That's outstanding. <laughs> she really was that's, the teacher of the year. Kinda, it's, it's, you know, you got to wonder the ages of the people. And, um, you know, if a man did the same thing, what Oof. would happen? You know? They would castrate that guy. They would put him in jail. You know? Well, I mean, she's in jail. Okay. Yeah, well, I, she's I in recently jail. saw something that had a whole list of the um, the woman, um, you know, the teacher student kind of thing for the woman and the men for like the whole year. There's a lot, a lot of them. It's not just a single. There's a shitload and a lot of them get away with it to some degree. I don't know. It's like a slap in the wrist for some of the women. Hmm. Well, different countries have different things about what ages people can do things, you know? And, um, some people think at the age of 13, it should happen. Or, you know, some people think around 20 or 21. So, it's, it's strange what's happening. It really is. And right now in the chat room, I was going to put up that photograph of that teacher. And there it is, folks. There she is in all her glory. Teacher <laughs> of the year. Boys and girls, that's who she is. Look at that. And as you can tell, she's not exactly a bad looking woman at all. She's fairly attractive, I would have to say. I'm not sure if you can see that, Paul, but... Uh, if you want to see a photograph of her, just go to the chat room. I will go there. I was there before, but I logged out just so I wouldn't be influenced by different things. But I'm going there now. Just remember to um, hit pause or hit mute. Okay. But yes, you could see the photograph now. And she, again, she's not like an ugly girl whatsoever. And it's it's kind of crazy that there are women like that that are banging your um, your children out there. Mm. It's insane. And there's a lot of these women. 
Well, you know, that's that's human nature. You know? I guess you're right. Yes. It's human nature. Uh, Randy Chavera, 36, a family and consumer science teacher at Round Rock High School, was arrested just this Tuesday on a charge of improper relationship between and uh, an educator and a student. That's so I'm looking at the photos now, um, which is, is the same, same woman on the left and right. Same woman. Well, she's attractive. What can I say? The woman on the right looks better, though. <laughs> I guess on the left is when she got caught. Is that what happened? So now we know what you prefer. <laughs> <laughs> you like the blondes. So this is like a uh, you, you tried to trick me there. huh? <laughs> I sure did. I, I used another story to try to get leverage out of you and it worked. Okay. Well, I think maybe just in this one instance, the red hair isn't going for me and the, the sad face, a potentially sad face. I know the sad face. It's all, it's all in the expression, right? You, <laughs> she's the, you see the sad puppy dog eyes on the left and the right is where she's sort of getting away with, you know, like giving oral to the, to the kids. So, you know, different mindsets, right? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, sure. Amazing. It really is. And again, attractive woman, but She's doing all the wrong things, and it's sad. It's pretty sad. Well, I guess in in some cultures in 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 the past, there used to be easier for people to find people. You know, I think even in I heard a interview with a guy, an Islamic guy, and he was saying that they they the parents will find a partner for their child. You know, and the the child can go and say, "Hey, I'd like a partner now. So can you find me one?" And the parents will find the kid, you know, a wife or somebody or a husband. So where in our society is it more structured for people to find people, you know? Very true. And of course, I don't blame the kid at all. That's a pretty good looking woman there. And I didn't have (laughs) teachers like that, to be honest with you. I had a bunch of horrendous looking female teachers when I was in high school. What's what boy in school doesn't, you know, or girl doesn't, you know, look at the teacher and, and think about stuff, you know? Well, I mean, some of the guys, some of the men in my high school weren't that attractive i i you know but i'm a guy i could that's how i felt but i'm also someone who <laughs> can see another guy and be like okay that guy is i could see him being fairly attractive uh, for women out there and i could see how that guy right there is popular with the ladies i, I could see that sort of thing i i could tell that you know i could see that in some men but of course there's other men out there that i see and i'm thinking this guy is like a goddamn mess he's not pulling anything he's just uh, some pathetic beta male, probably. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, he's just under control of the wife, you know, being yelled at, being told what to do. He can't buy this. He can't do that. He has to go take out the trash. You know, things of that nature. Right. And then um, there are things a man can do to, to become more attractive to uh, other people and also to his wife, you know. True. Um, you don't have to stay a beta male forever. You don't. You definitely don't. And I got to ask you, since we are talking about women here, uh, have you seen Kate Beckinsale, by the way? She's been making the rounds, her and and this other uh, woman. I'm, I can't remember her name at the moment, but Kate Beckinsale, for an older woman, she's 46 years old. She's still pretty, pretty damn hot, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm looking at a photo of her now. Um, yeah, she is attractive. She's pretty hot still, right? Yeah, she's still hot. Um, Rolo Tomasi would say that the, uh, ma- the sexual value of a woman is from around in the 20s to the to, to around 29 or so. And then at 31, they hit their um, their peak. Their peak, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I'm looking at Kate Beckinsale right now, and damn, for her age, she is remarkably hot. She's stunning. Yeah, she is attractive. Um, what I what I would hope for many people to to do is um, become more uh, spiritually aware, or to go beyond just the surface of of uh, th- their physical body, and that can true. bring yeah. them more happiness. You know, very very true. Mm. You're right about that. Sometimes you can go with these women and they have just the most awful and atrocious uh, attitude and view on life. I remember I went out with a very, very gorgeous looking woman way out of my league. And one thing that was really disgusting about her was just the way she kind of treated everybody. Uh, Mm. Just her general sort of interactions with the world was very nauseating, in my opinion. I'm not sure if you, I'm not sure if you've ever been through something like that, but you know, I've been through that before with a few girls that just had this really nasty sort of personality. Were they young? Were they in their twenties or younger? One of them, yeah, was definitely in the younger side. Well, that's to be expected of the younger people, but of the older people, it's maybe they're just, um, they're, they're realizing that the younger women are getting all the attention and they're, uh, they're still, they're angry about that and they haven't moved in, um, into um, what they're gaining by um, seeing the, the difference, how people are treated, you know? All right. I do have a photograph now up in the chat room for those that are wondering about Kate Beckinsale. And there she is. That's one of the last photographs I believe that she's been uh, featured in. And again, 46 years old, remarkable. Mm. Yeah. I wonder what kind of diet she eats. Is it a uh, like question? If, if, if a woman eats like a raw food living diet, then, then, oh, she is attractive. <laughs> she's beautiful. Yeah. At least in that photo, she looks, um, yeah, she looks, uh, light. You know, she's not a very heavy woman in that photo. Yeah. She's definitely taking care of herself. Uh, definitely. When I look at this photo, if, if you look at her lower lip, um, that will, that matches up with certain areas of the body. So, um, um, her, her lower lip is a little bit too, too did, fat. Did she too. get those? Um, did she have facial work done? I'm looking at those lips know. now. Yeah, it's a good question. A little her Botox is, there? Her hair is nice. Um, she got Botox, right? Maybe. I don't know. I she she kind of has that, that, that look slightly. Her eyes are very interesting. You know? True. Kind of uh, alive. Her eyes are alive. Her, okay, her breasts. <laughs> um, yeah, I've been in, uh, I'm a surgical te- technologist, and I've seen women come in and get stuff done. Um, Don't you just they, hate that, by the way? Some women are just stunning the way they are, and they always want to. Not always, but some of them, I, I think they fall into maybe the influence of their friends who poke them and try to get them to do all these facial surgeries, these facial reconstruction surgeries that they do. Uh, you've seen so many A-listers and you, you've seen them down the gauntlet, really, these really gorgeous women, and they meet uh, another woman, and the next time you see them, their whole body is altered. Yeah, it's strange. The tragedy. Mm. Goodness. Uh, well, I think women kind of embody more of the physical physical um, of life, the physicality, and the men embody more of the, the subtle and so the women are more connected with like the earth, earthly kind of things. So maybe that's why uh, they're mo- more uh, interested in the, you know, in the physical body, whereas the men are more connected to the, uh, the spirituality or the, you know, the, um, the non-physical. Um, so um, that's maybe why men have more 
abstract thoughts and stuff like that. Are you taking yoga or anything of that nature? No, I, I am a yoga teacher. I, but you uh, are a yoga in, teacher. Okay, okay. In 2001, I became a teacher and I lived at a yoga place for a long time. Um, but, uh, you know, life is yoga for me now. Um, yeah. I'm yeah. starting to remember the other woman that I was thinking about when I was mentioning uh, Kate Beckinsale. I was thinking of uh, Selma Hayek. Okay. Another woman who is just gorgeous and she's even older. She's 53 and she still looks perfect in my opinion. Okay. I'm looking at some photos of her now. Um, she's she's uh, still like hot. a different um, genealogy than uh, the other woman for sure. They're from different um, cultures for sure. Oh, of course. Very, very different from one another, one another and just stunning still. Mexican. Yeah, she is attractive. Mm-hmm. Very, very attractive. And mm-hmm. I can't believe how good looking she uh, is to this day. Yeah, both women are attractive. Go, My go ahead. My God. And I believe we have a phone call here. Um, caller, you are live on the air. What's going on? Hey, how's it going there, Michael? This has been an awesome show. Oh, have you been listening? I've learned. A- oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Amazing. I've liked and commented. I, I've been commenting in the chat. That's cool. So, what what do you think oh, of yeah. yeah, what do you think of the the first um guest I had on earlier? Uh Mr. Kramer, Cremo? Mr. Cremo, right? Um, yeah, Cremo. I like I said, um he's awesome. He was talking about a lot of stuff that I was clueless about. I was like, "Okay, this is interesting." You know, and and for reasons, I mean, you and I both know especially some of the stuff he was talking about in the beginning. If you remember back that far, I was like, Oh, so that's where that came from. And I thought it was really, uh, interesting on that part, you know, with the, um, Genesis thing and the Nephilim and all that other stuff he was talking about. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. So that resonated with you for obvious reasons. Right, right. That's pretty crazy. So you definitely and then, feel. Oh, go ahead. And then listening to the current guest, Paul, how women will. Uh, what's his name? Paul. How you doing? Yeah. Paul. Good deal. Sorry about that, Paul. Hey, man. I just mind dumped your name. I'm old. I'm 51, man. Sure. Been drinking out of too many aluminum cans. Uh, but nice. The, but the funny part is, um, with you talking about the one thing that I was like, what's the number I got to call in? is how women have such a, and it is, I think, driven socially uh, because women don't have to prove themselves on a battlefield or to stand up and, and do hard things normally. I mean, you know, I'm not taking anything away from women fighters or something, but the, or soldiers or whatever. There's some killers. But yeah, the, yeah there, there's some straight up killers. For sure. But But they usually have to do it more mindfully. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, even the best MMA woman wouldn't last, you know, very long with um, an MMA guy that's, you know, a Walter Waite kind of guy. No, of course but my not. Point, yes, go ahead. But my point is how they do want to alter themselves. I mean, think about this woman that now has to have her ass amputated. Oof. That's, well, that would be a joke. In some place. Yeah. What, what do you think about that, Paul? I'm glad you brought that up. Just I wanted to ask Paul this now that he, that now that you mentioned it there, Kaiser. Uh, Paul, how do you feel about women who get, you know, like ass implants? I don't know what the purpose of that would be. Um, I don't know, either. Some, 
But yeah, Michael, I don't know much about that ass thing. I saw it. <laughs> I saw it in the news. But you know, what do you think about that? It's incredible. I mean, there's various women who go and you know they're so desperate to get the whole ass plant thing going on that they go to these shady doctors and they go there and then they get ruined. Yeah, well, they'll t- they'll get like a surgery where they take uh, some some of the fat out of one area. And then they just inject it into their breasts, and it's not even a lot of fat, you know. I mean, it's it's weird. They could just go eat a certain type of food and and exercise a little bit, and it'll all move to the right areas. But I don't understand. Well, that's the whole thing that boggles the mind is every woman I've ever been with, you know, I enjoy what I'm looking at, you know. Yeah. But thank God I've been married 25 years to the same woman. I don't have to worry about that no more. But back in the day during the eighties, you know, we had the bladow bladoon, you know, we had the girls like that. <laughs> right. And I had, I had experience with all kinds of different women. I didn't give a fuck, you know, they sure. had no conscience. But the the problem is, is that I can't imagine somebody having some implants put in where you're not getting maximum penetration because you got two bricks. Because e- even though people will say, well, they're they're just like, no, they're not. They they keep distance. And I can't imagine yeah. going doggy style with some girl <laughs> and guess. having a barrier to penetration. That's just stupid. Yeah, and these women think it looks sexy. It makes no sense. It's funny you mentioned that because now in the chat room, I do have a photograph of Coco, who is the wife of what's his name? God, I'm I'm forgetting his damn name. Um, is it Ice T? Hmm. Well, yeah, everybody. That's who it is. Yes, yep. it's Ice T. That's his wife, and now, yeah, I blanked out for some reason. Yeah, uh, Coco. That's the. That's the wife, and I do have a photograph of her from back in 2002, and she, I'm sure she looks fine. She just has some implants. I'm okay with that. And the ass, you know, it's looking like like most traditional white woman's ass would look like. It's fairly nice. It's it's all right. It's not the most um, bubble-type figure that most men would, you know, that some men would want. And then you fast forward to 2017 and she's wearing the mini skirt and you could see the ass and pl- uh, the ass implants uh, fairly in place. And it looks a little, oh, yeah. looks a little odd. This is what degeneracy looks like. I mean, yeah. you know, fat transfer, I understand. At least that's kind of natural. But man, you start putting silicone and all that shit. I remember this is back in the eighties. So you guys, Probably your listening audience, and maybe even you, will probably not even know this girl, but I dated a girl that was a porn girl. Oh, my God. I, her stage name was Jeanette Little Duck. Anyway, so the point is, uh, she had a butchered, if anybody watches her porn, which hopefully <laughs> none of you guys get into that degenerate shit. Oh my I God. did that when I was in my 20s. But the point being is, uh, it looks like, if you see the scars under her tits, it looked like that, and it, and the silicone had hardened, and it was Oof. like grabbing two bricks. It was that hard yeah. uh, to grab her tits. Doesn't sound good. I just, for me, I, I just look at that and I'm like, okay, so now you're throwing up barriers to fun, and um, you know, and I'm not gonna state, you know, the generosity she must be involved in. I mean, you know, but. You know, like I said, everybody goes through their degenerate phase, but shit, what is she? She's got to be close to my age now. Nah, maybe not 
50, 51, but she's got to be in her thir- late 30s, 40s. And why would you do that damage to your body at that age? And that's my thoughts on that one. Amazing. Anything to add to that, Paul? Uh, just like some people wear a necklace to get them in touch with certain things, maybe that's their uh, bundle of suffering. You know, I don't know. You know, the 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 breast implants are either like a saline solution, so they're either having two bags of water on their breasts, or they're you know some uh, silicone. So, uh, is I um, having sex or being with somebody who has that kind of like. The, what the caller was saying was like a like a barrier. Uh, I see it as a barrier also, and I'm more into the, like the natural kind of stuff. Um, it's got to be uh, uncomfortable to have that kind of a uh, butt like that. But what's she getting out of it? You know, is is that attracting a certain guy with a lot of money? So I don't know. You know? Oh, she's with Ice T. Yeah, how much money does he have? What's Probably. Well, I mean, you know, he's on that TV show. Okay. So he's got a million. He's got it. Yeah. He's, he's killing it probably. He's, he's killing it. But the $40 million is, is what it says. Net worth of ice tea. Oh my goodness. That's not a well, lot of money. It? If you look at a lot of actors, they have like a minimum of usually around $400 million. So, but we're talking about ice tea here, you know, former rapper. Come on. Okay. You okay. know, he's, he's not that good of an actor. <laughs> yeah. I, I, Let's just be honest. Knows, I mean, <laughs> The only film I ever saw him uh, act good in was when he was like the hunted guy. I can't remember that. That film. was, a, it was back in the You're talking about 90s. surviving the game. Yeah, yes, yeah, surviving the game. That I love was that the movie. Only one I remember, man. I love that, that film. Was a good one. It was a gr- it was yeah. a great one. And now in the chat room, I do have a photograph of the ever so popular Kim Kardashian. What exactly are your oh. thoughts and opinions? We'll start with Paul. Go ahead, Paul. Well, she's attractive. Um, she's not I, that bad. No, not that bad. No. Let me see. Her her eyebrows are pretty thick. Uh, let me see. Her some of the woman's eyebrows will be like a like an arrow almost. They're like a more pointy in the middle. So this would maybe indicate she's somewhat of a vegetarian, possibly. Um, and um, that's about it. Yeah. Go that's ahead. Good. Go ahead, Kaiser. Well, my thoughts on Kim is she's done a lot of damage to herself too, but. My point was that I was getting to, it's the whole new thing. Back in the 80s, 90s, uh, when I was out there running game, you know, girls looked natural. They had a nice bush uh, that would tickle your stomach while you were having fun. Amazing. Now, all of a sudden, oh, it, it was amazing. Trust me. And the the one girl that ever dropped trow with me, I was glad I didn't do anything with her because I'm like, hey, I don't know what your game is. You know, you want to look nine years old. I'm, I'm not into that. <laughs> Amazing, yes. And, and I think that uh, right now, I think that's why uh, the porn women, they all want to shave everything off. And and with her, she did act later after I got to know her. She acted like she wanted to perpetually be nine years old. And I understand the arguments I've heard from women. Oh, it's hygiene, this, that, and the other. No, it's not. Women have survived for centuries with the natural hair they have, and uh, <laughs> men have accepted it, and it's being pushed by an agenda. And that's all I'll say on that. That brings up a good— But uh, we, we go all ahead. know who run the porn industry. You know, that brings up a good uh, question for you, Pa. Are, are you a, f- a fan of hairless, or do you like Little Bush? 
Um, I think it's natural to have a little bush. Um, a little landing strip there. It kind of hurts too when there's nothing down, you know, nothing there. So a little friction, yeah, a little, a bit of a rug burn going on there. A little bit of a rug burn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. You know, I do, I do appreciate a little bit of a afternoon shadow going on down there. If you don't, you know, if you know what yeah, I'm talking about. It's always nice when, you know, when you're just going from appearances perspective that you know there's nothing there, but. You know, sometimes that sometimes just completely shaved looks a little odd sometimes. Yeah. Not mm-hmm. always. I mean, it, it can look still pretty hot, but a little hair is still pretty sexy. It's not very common these days. Yeah, just right. If it's not, if it's not, leaf, it's not freshly cut, then it, it's softened a little bit. Well, I mean, if you're, if you're, you know, dating a Jewish woman, you know, you're going to get some bush yeah. there. <laughs> That's just the way it goes. Right. My goodness. Well, it is what it is, but if it's not hair, I'm not there. Uh, <laughs> no. But I've been out of the game for 25 years, Ugh. going on 26. So my point being is somehow we've deviated, and I, we all know how that somehow is. I love this show, it's by the way. pushed upon us. What's that? I said I love this show, by the way. Oh, I hope so. I'm trying hard not to uh, laugh every couple moments here. Well, I'm I'm trying to not make you laugh too hard, but you know, I always speak firmly with tongue in cheek, but, uh, I always tell the truth. I'm not going to lie. Um, it's not attractive to me. It may be for some men, but then you have to think, where did that come from? You know, why, why are they pushing that on us? Hmm. And I'm always suspicious anytime I see trends and, uh, Honestly, I mean, you know, we can joke around about uh, bush and ass implants and tit implants all day long. But the point is, um, there is something about a natural woman who knows herself, who's confident. And even a woman that naturally, look, even a woman that says it's for, uh, let's say, they, what was that thing I said earlier? uh, Hygiene. Hygiene, Okay, then shave around that area. But a landing strip, at least show a badge of your womanhood. Have you ever dated being a woman? Let me let me jump in here really quickly and ask both of you men this question. Have you ever been with a woman that has, you know, shaved her lower regions into the first initial of her name? No. Well, I have. And it's pretty amazing. Nope. I just wanted to get that off my chest right now. (laughs) I've never seen a K look so nice. Okay, huh? I did. Yes, sir. I I did have a woman one time shave uh, uh, a heart. Oh, a heart. That's and, cute. Yes. Yep. Nice. That was cool. And uh, but I, she grew everything back. I mean, but it was just for a special day. And you know, I'm not going to say I haven't form form fitted mine. You know, as a man, you know, into a heart once. But that's the whole point, man. I mean, it, it's it's the novelty. It's a hairstyle, you know, but it's something that only the intimate people you would know would know. Right. And that's kind of a special thing. And, you know, there's something that's another thing. We, we've we lost the, the sense of making that act, which is a sacred act. I mean, hopefully it produces life. That should be the goal always, you know, to carry on your line. And we've cheapened it so much that, uh, not we, but modernity has and people pushing, you know, 
not good things. And uh, I don't know. That's just my two thoughts on those things that you guys are bringing up. And I'd love to listen to everything you guys are saying. I'll mute myself, guys. No problem. And uh, yeah, Paul, that good, good points there, by the way, Kaiser. And, uh, you know, another thing that I've been talking about since 2016, Paul, and on this program are uh, sex robots. And these are these really complex sort of sex dolls that have been manufactured by mostly Japanese companies. And they have incorporated AI into these dolls, my friend. And the silicone that they've used on these on these um, dolls are so lifelike that many men out there are just completely getting rid of having a girlfriend or a wife. They're going straight to the sex dolls that you can actually... Uh, customize yourself to any way, shape, form, and texture that you want and desire. Uh, Paul, your thoughts and opinions on this ever so rapidly evolving technology in terms of adult uh, toys? Well, I saw a uh, a Twitter uh, video recently where there was a deer, right? I don't know if you've seen this one. There was a video of a deer, and it was like a fake deer. And the, the male deer went up to the fake deer <laughs> and tried to have sex with it. <laughs> I haven't seen that. Off. <laughs> I haven't seen that, but now I want to. Okay. If I can find it, I'll, I'll send it to you. Nice. Um, but, um, you know, that kind of stuff is, um, I'm sure it's satisfying to some degree, but. Um, Nothing like the real thing, in my opinion. Yeah. At a certain point, it, you know, it doesn't compare, you know. Um, yeah. When there's a, like a. Um, um, That's a little weird too, though, right, my friend? Yeah. It's like you know, you're just hanging around with your your sex doll. Yeah, and take it around with you. Yeah, I mean, what what do you get from that? What That's is the what little, does the doll give you? It's a know? little creepy. Yeah. Well, and I, if, I have if a funny story about that. Oh, Kaiser, going to jump in real quickly. Go ahead. Well, I know when I was over in Iraq, a guy ordered uh, a real doll. This is not a bullshit story. This is hilarious. And somebody asked a question. Look, in the 80s, German girls, a lot of them had hairy armpits and legs, but they never shaved them, and it was very fine hair. And, of course, you're in Germany or Europe. It's not like a big-ass bush under their pits and legs super hairy. But, yeah, you, you deal with what you have in the area when you're a single man, and that's all I'll say. But here's the thing. This guy orders this real doll, and... uh Anyways, so one night somebody stole, I, I really can't get into all the details and mention names, I'd love to, stole the doll. And he made a big deal about having her. She came in in the crate and everything, whatever. This is hilarious. Um, and yes. so he's looking for her. She's cheating. So as he's going in one person's hooch, somebody's taking it, putting it into another person's hooch, and this thing traveled everywhere. So it went on for like two days and uh, this is, we had to actually get rid of him because he made this big a deal out of it. Uh, finally, we put him in his bed, put that real doll in his bed and uh, he cut it up, burned it. And we're like, this guy has went psycho nuts and we had to actually handcuff him, hold him down to take him to Baghdad air biop, Baghdad wow. international airport. So he went, a he went AWOL. Yeah. No, 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 no. This is, I wasn't a soldier, dude. This is oh, contracting. No. Okay. This is a different gig. And I don't even want to talk about the year because it would identify this guy. For sure. But th this is a fact. 
I mean, you know, but the real doll thing, that phenomenon, that sort of elucidates the point of insanity that, and I, I believe this, I'm, you know, I'm 51, man. I went through my 20s, 30s, 40s. I know what the sex drive does to a man. And looking back on it, you know, at 27, you're not going to, everybody's gone through the suicidal phase, the whatever phase. And by 27, usually a man has his shit locked down. And um, that's the thing. We've just quit talking. And if any anybody who's a man listening needs to realize, talk to the young men. I have a young son. And I said, look, everything you've gone through, you notice it passes. It's a phase. The arrogance, this, that, and the other. And realizing you don't know it all is the first step. And once you realize that and you start listening, your ears open to other wiser men. See, I'm a bastard. I didn't have a a father. You know this. Um, But I had great mentors. At 17, I went in the Army. And then at 20, I was in the Marine Corps. And these mentors talked real to me. And that's what I see as a problem right now with everybody trying to edit themselves or being forced to edit because, oh, you you're, you're you're you just said something that's wrong. No, more speech, not less. And that's what I see the bigger issue as. And where's that coming from? Who's pushing that? Who's pushing the things that you can't explore the things that they say, oh, this is a fact. Well, well maybe it's not. 9-11 might not be a fact. You know, other things that happened in the 40s might not be a fact. If you disagree by a couple bodies then all of a sudden you're a denier. That's bullshit. And anyway, so that's my thoughts on that whole thing, just like the fleshlights and all this shit. I, dude, I, I keep current on this shit as it went out, and I just can't believe people are being sucked into it. And porn, it, it sucks. There's been studies that say it sucks the male sex drive away from natural sex. And that's more of an issue to me because wh- why is birth rates within certain races going down? We have to think it who's the same that. And uh, I said races, not one race. So anybody who wants to say, oh, he's a white supremacist, suck a bean because you're wrong. It's aimed at Americans mostly because we're so, hom- we're not homogeneous. We're so interconnected. And your guys' thoughts, I want to hear it. Oh, hold on one moment here. Uh, Paul, what exactly are your thoughts on things of that nature? You know, we're talking about sex dolls and stuff, but, you know, the fleshlight basically is another form of uh, of a sex toy, obviously. It's not exactly as extravagant of, as a sex doll, but a fleshlight, uh, an even more strange thing to have around in your living room, I can imagine, or I can't even imagine having something of that nature just hanging around uh, out there in your in your room, even uh, your thoughts and opinions, Paul. People have all kind of contraptions, you know. Um, people will do what they'll do. Um, is that beta though? Is it beta? Um, yeah, I, I would. I, I would. I would say yes. Look at the. Uh, I sent you a a picture of that deer thing in the uh, Skype chat. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Um, but if we separate children uh, when they're young and, uh, and they, they don't have an, you know, the opportunity, what else are they going to do? Um, you know? Yes. Now I'm, I'm on the website, by the way. <laughs> oh, I wish I could, um, I wish I could play this. 
Yeah. Well, I saw one where uh Department of Natural Resources set up a mechanical deer in Ohio. And I'll tell you this, uh, there was many male deer that went up there, but it was a, a decoy. And the yes, male deer would come out there, and they had a video camera going on all directions to this road. He didn't have people poaching the deer, mounting the deer. And if you think about it, that's kind of a not an allegory, but kind of something that would show what what is that? It's bait to catch something, and maybe, maybe porn. We can analogize that to that. I mean, just a thought put out there, and I'd love to hear Paul's response. Well, yeah, the male nature is uh, – I've been using the word mag- magnetic, and the, the woman is gravitational. You know, that's just what men do. You, know? you can't stop it. It's just human nature. Yeah. It's a sex drive with all animals. I mean, even yeah. wells have a sex drive, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I've heard that women uh, have like a little testosterone also, but if you give a, a, a woman bodybuilder some testosterone, she'll become, it's said that men are always on. And uh, when a woman takes... If you have type 2 diabetes... My goodness. Sorry about that. When a woman takes testosterone, she's uh, often surprised that she's so sexual. She's 100% on, you know. Men are on all the time. And, um, well, they've done whereas, studies with... Um, uh, what do you call that? Not just testosterone, but with uh, um, Viagra and Cialis sure. on women sure. too, and they and then, discover uh, that they're getting more clitoral stimuli. stimuli. Okay, and then uh, women are on maybe every two weeks, you know, and then uh, when when women are ovulating, they wear maybe the uh, the round earrings, and they start going out to with their friends to maybe attract the alpha male kind of thing. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. That is women very interesting. Are, yeah, women aren't on all the time; they're only on at certain times you know, uh, in their cycle. Well, there was a woman that came to a bar one time. You were talking about round earrings. I love to hear that because it's true. I said, uh, "This woman, I'm like, oh, I see what you're doing right here." She goes, <laughs> that's what right. Do you mean? <laughs> and I said, "Well, you got round earrings. You have a belt that's made of chains that are round. You know, they they were all round and a little hoop connection." And I said, that's very interesting. She said, what, what are you saying? <laughs> right. I said, well, you're showing circles, which means you want a circle made down below. <laughs> and she laughed and she goes, you just called me out. That's right. And I was like, yeah, I was a single young man. You know, I didn't give a shit. You know, what you going to do? Say goodbye? Okay, that's fine. That's another thing that men have, because they've been shut down, and this is all men. This, you know, this this isn't just in modernity. Men can't speak their mind to a woman and have their face smacked by them. You know, uh, I never got my face smacked by her. I called her out on her shit. But the point is, it. I find it so interesting how conversation gets shut down, and somehow we're wrong. No, we're not. We're actually yeah, trying there's to. There's a thought that women make rules for 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 betas and they break them for alphas. So um, maybe she didn't consider you to be a um, an alpha. <laughs> Sorry to say at that time. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I, I do want to thank you That's for calling funny. in, by the way, Kaiser. Uh, thanks for calling in, Kaiser. Thank you. Yes, we have to wrap things up pretty soon here. Right, Mike. Not yet, but we're getting close, though. 
we're we're going to that time, Paul, where we have to wrap things up pretty soon here. And by the way, in the chat room now, Paul, I do have the photograph of the deer that humped that poor uh, decoy. <laughs> right. The head's off. Look at that. Yeah. I cracked up when I saw that for the first time. <laughs> and it's an actual oh. video. So the deer actually walks up to it and, and everything, you know. By the way, you know what, Paul Vic something, who is a female in the chat room, she says, what's it called when a guy considers himself an alpha, but no woman agrees or agree? It's, um, well, he's a beta at that moment. You know? Well, I hope that's, I hope that satisfies, um, your, your uh, question there and your take, Vic, Vic something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's nothing worse than seeing a man, uh, strike out with a woman, uh, repeatedly. It's kind of sad. But it's it's more an action, a way he's acting than what he actually is. It's not, you know, it's not 100% that's what he is. It's just what she's seeing in his attitude. Is it um, is it alpha or is it beta to sleep with a woman when she's on her period? Um, well, I've, I've done it. Not to say that I've done it, but yeah, I've done it. Um, a woman will do it to satisfy the alpha and to, to attract the alpha. She'll she'll. She'll go outside of her norm to do it um, because the, a woman is also trying to get the alpha, you know, and um, so, yeah. You look like a little, a little bit of like uh, Norman Bates there, huh, Paul? Yeah, it's, it's not, it's not help. Maybe it's, maybe it's not healthy for a woman. I don't know. I'm not a woman, but um, um, it, yeah, I don't know. If we look at it from like a medical thing, you know, there's blood, there's bleeding down there, but um, is it is it hurting the woman at that time? I don't know. You know, is it causing damage? I don't know. I've I've had sex with a with a woman that was on her period. It, it definitely didn't seem like it was hurting her any bit. <laughs> That's right. It looked like I was hurting her though, with all with uh, all the all the the blood going everywhere. But yeah, it looked like yeah. a crime scene. That's right. Yeah. Good lord. Yeah, that mm -hmm. period sex. It's very passionate, but very messy, right? Yeah. It's like a murder scene going on. Jesus. Yeah, I don't know if that's alpha or if that's beta. That's, that's this kind of, um, odd sometimes, I'd say. Yeah. Well, maybe now these days I might, I might wait a few days or, um, for that to. Yeah. You might want, <laughs> you might want to wait or, or yeah. do something else, right? Right. Good Lord. And it's, it's, uh, it's healthy to, um, not to do it all the time. So, um, that's a, a benefit of like waiting. Um, well, in the heat of the moment, sometimes, you know, it's pretty oh, hot. Yeah. Well, you, you got to live happens. too, you know? So, yeah, yeah. you got to, you got to ruin a few bed sheets to live a little, right? That's right. Hell yes. Make a mess in the hotel, live a little wild. You got to have stories, right? That's Life what I'm all about. Story. I yeah. love a good story, man. Hell yes. Paul, I, I love having you here, man. I love that you have been completely open and honest about everything here. We weren't even going to have any any of this sort of discussion, but here we are having all sorts of fun. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, this is fun for me. So, yes, thank you. Also. Yeah, we're, we're not done yet, though. Okay. We're not done yet. Almost, almost. We are about, about 15 minutes away, but... Sure. Also, I did want to ask you a little bit about crypto coin. Uh, some, some listeners out there were asking me if it's still, if getting into cryptocurrency is still something that's viable. Is it something that would make sense, especially right. now? 
Well, in a, in a bull market, everything's going up. In a, in a bear market, everything's going down. I think we're past the bear market stage, but in previous bull markets, it went up quicker. So um, I've looked at a bunch of different people, and we may be looking at another two or three years before the bull market actually takes off and peaks. So, um, you know, if you're trying to – if you're thinking the next uh, three months down the road and trying to make a billion dollars – um, um, maybe this time around it's going to take longer, but there are coins and uh, tokens that I'm into. I'm into XRP, which is a uh, ripple. Um, right. And, and Bitcoin is always a good, it's always a good bet. Maybe, maybe we may be at the peak of this little hump with the Bitcoin and we may be going down quite a bit and XRP may go down to maybe 14 cents or whatever. But when the, when these good, when these good tokens, uh, quality tokens are going down. That's an excellent time to buy um, because, um, you know, when it does go up, you'll you'll be even better off. So um, it might be smart to take maybe 5% or less and of your income every month and maybe put 1% or up to 5% or however much you're comfortable with and just think of it as a long-term thing, you know. Uh, JJG in the chat room says, Alpha Stock Trader, this is actually Patrick Bateman calling himself Paul. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I appreciate the compliment. That's good stuff. That's a great movie, by the way. Okay. Psycho is fantastic, by the way. I think I've seen it, but it's been a while. I'll check it out again. Yeah, other other cryptos or I've heard of VeChain, VET. I don't know anything about it, but um, definitely a Bitcoin and a Ripple XRP. Um, By the way, speaking of uh, crypto, did you see that the U.S. authorities arrested the Ethereum guy, the research scientist yeah, Virgil I, Griffith? I saw who went to Korea or something? Yeah, or, he went to North Korea. Yeah. Uh, well, he was assisting North Korea in invading uh, sanctions, apparently. And I guess he was violating the U.S. sanctions laws and traveling to North Korea to deliver a presentation and technical advice on using cryptocurrency and blockchain technology to invade or evade rather uh, sanctions. Interesting. There's a lot. Yeah, a lot of countries are are doing stuff with cryptocurrencies, even um, central bank digital currencies, CBDCs and the Christine Lagarde, who was working at the IMF, is now the head of the European Central Bank, ECB. And I think it's like 16 or more central banks that she heads. And she's very pro-crypto. So Europe is definitely going into cryptocurrency. And many of the different countries, even the uh, United States has a faster payments task force. So it's all these crypto things are happening. It's just um, – um, it has to go through all the bureaucracy, and uh, I think it's even been planned for many, many years ago um, that these things aren't happening by chance. You know, all these different banks and things have yeah. um, digital currencies as part of their um, of their papers and their published papers, and even Bank of America has a uh, patent on different different things. So it's happening. We got about 10 minutes left pause, so I thought we could talk about the golden one really quickly here and push your book here. Sure. And I was curious, Michael, have you ever written anything? Do you have any, have you published anything? I'm trying to get a, a photo of I have. You. I have not written anything, but there is something in the works. I do plan to write something and I do have someone who is going to assist me on that thing. That'd be great. That's awesome. Yeah, I did a brief search on uh, Amazon for your for your name, and nothing came up. So, oh, there'll be something eventually. I, I awesome. for sure, I'm planning. 
Okay. Well, I'm on Amazon, um, Prince Palma Marcos. I've got two books. Um, one is called The Golden One, uh, an out-of-body book. It's my first book on out-of-body experiences. And the other is the out-of-body journal. And that is two years of my journaling uh, from um, 1996 and 7 um, about some of the experiences I had. So I have a website, outofbodyjournal.com, and there's a chat group there and all different kinds of videos and things like that. So those are all my connections. Um, you know, so um, my my expertise is mostly in the out of body realm and in the you could say the oneness or the uh, the third stage of out of body experiences. That's where I get my like um, my medals and all my you know special congratulations on that kind of thing. But um, I'm also interested in the physical enlightenment. So a lot of a lot of people who go to ashrams and and um, a lot of like uh, spiritual kind of people don't usually go heavily into the world. And what I, what I show is that there's like a spectrum of experience, experience on earth and also throughout the universe that, uh, that a being or soul can have. And this spectrum is really the spectrum of, of the being, the being of the universe. And, uh, I call that, a like these, the spectrum of, uh, of being, and at one end of the spectrum is the person, the person in their body or physicality. And that's one experience that a person can have. And on the, the more and more distant extreme of experience that you can have is the more like the out-of-body kind of things. Right. And that'll go even into the more and more subtle. Um, people talk about God or oneness. And um, that's some of the stuff that I've written about also. And I call that the third stage of out-of-body experiences. We are all one, Paul. We're all one. And um, there's no experience that's better than any other. And we're all as powerful as anyone else. But because we can all draw um, an infinite amount of power, each one of us can, no matter the being, um, if they want to, they can draw an, an extraordinary amount of power. And um, so, yeah. One more time, Paul, give us the website URL. Sure. Outofbodyjournal.com. Outofbodyjournal.com. Amazing. Thank you so much, Paul, for being a part of the program. I will definitely have to bring you back on. Uh, but this time I will have you co-host with me once we uh, once I bring in another individual who will talk about this sort of uh, thing, Paul, I think you would be great here with me. Sure. Appreciate it. This is a lot of fun here. Also, thank you. Clockwise, Paul. See you on the other side, my friend. I hope you have a good evening. Good night. Thank you. All right, brother. Take care. And there he goes, ladies and gentlemen. That was the one and only Paul Mamakos, a great guy, good dude, and very well respected in his out-of-body journal blog spot and his book very respected he has his own following there go ahead and check him out and of course i do want to thank all of you out there for being a part of the program those in the chat room and of course special thanks to mr michael cremo that was incredible right i do appreciate him being here and i appreciate all of you for being here with me and as we take it home here tonight and pull this larry silverstein style thank you out there for being a part of the program Yet again, international listeners, thank you so much. And remember, you can get a hold of me during the show, sometimes via Twitter, at Michael Deacon, at sign Michael Deacon. Not hard to uh, spell there. 
don't think you need me to spell that out for you. You can always send me a message there, or you can just join us in the chat room. That always works. And uh, don't forget, if you are a fan of the program and want to help fund the program, that would be fantastic. You can go to patreon.com forward slash Michael Deacon. Exclusive content that you won't find anywhere else, just on Patreon. And of course, there is a donation button right-hand side of your screen over at michaeldeacon.com. Any amount will work. And of course, if you donate through there, through PayPal, I will personally send you a copy of the Patreon episodes. Oh, and it's worth it. Anything does help to keep the ball rolling here. We do appreciate your help by any means. And those out there who have donated, I really do appreciate that. I love you. Top talent show yet again. What does the future have in store for us? Is this all just merely a figment of our imaginations? Is this a simulation? Do we in fact have a cosmic neighbor out there somewhere? Who are they? And where are they? You know, there's nothing more frightening than reality. I enjoy saying that. I hope all of you out there are, well, friend and full. I'm Michael Deegan. I hope you enjoyed my act of defiance, arrogance, and intransigence. Stay safe, everyone, no matter where you are on this pale blue dot. And with that said, the world's a mysterious place, and life itself is a mystery. Until next time.